the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. I am Seth Liebson, and um, it's good to have you all here as we uh, head into Thanksgiving. Mr. Bill, David Dahl, my producer, Terry, it's great to have you. Thanksgiving invokes um, a lot of different things. And uh, first of all, one thing we have to get rid of is this notion when you ask someone what they're serving for Thanksgiving, they've got to stop saying a traditional Thanksgiving meal. You're not serving a traditional Thanksgiving meal unless you're serving swan and eels. If you're serving potatoes and cranberry sauce, you're not serving a Thanksgiving meal that's traditional. No, no. It would be lobsters, swans, and eels and venison and venison. So that's the first thing we have to correct. Second... Manners. Manners are hugely important, and I will give the annual reading of Mrs. Bennett's Table Manners in a moment. But first we must deal with um, the need behind public rebuke um, and the need of the offensive manners. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, in his autobiography, said certain crimes uh, are of a revolting baseness and cruelty and should not be forgiven. This can infiltrate the realm of manners. Someone did a very decent thing. Young David, I hope you're paying attention. Someone did a very decent thing for our office uh, and, and brought in a cheesecake for all of us in the staff to enjoy. And I knew when I saw the email that going around, I knew exactly what I would expect, as happens every time there is public serving of food around here. Some people would not take a whole piece. It happens with donuts. It happens with pizza. It happens with everything, every item, cakes, treats, cookies. There are some people who will just take a part, a break, break it in half, slice it in half, and leave another half or detritus for the next person because they can't take the whole piece. It reminds me of a story someone told me about Mitt Romney at a barbecue fundraiser once where you got lined up and asked for what told the chef behind the grill what kind of cook uh, what kind of temperature you wanted on your burger and he said I'll just take half a cheeseburger please. Who takes half a cheeseburger? Don't eat what you don't want or wrap it up and give it to someone else. Now there's a greater offense that I did not expect to see happen. And young David, every piece of evidence points to you on this. Now, first of all, lest you think I'm just going off unhinged here, one of the great conservative philosophers of, uh, of our, of, uh, in history was Edmund Burke. And he said, Manners are of more importance than laws, for upon them in great measure the laws depend. The law touches us but here and there and now and then. Manners are what vex or soothe, corrupt or purify, exalt or debase, barbarize or refine us by a constant, steady, uniform, insensible operation like that of the air we breathe in. They give form and color to our lives according to their quality. They aid morals, they supply them, or they totally destroy them. That's how important manners are. 
Now, I came into the kitchen to look at the cheesecake. I wasn't going to have any. But what did I see? Mr. Bill, what did I see when I walked in the kitchen? I saw the cheesecake with the lid totally open, exposed to the air, exposed to the elements, exposed to any kinds of coughings and sneezings, and desiccation. Absence of moistness, which is what you don't want in cheesecake. And you know what, David? We surveyed the office, and I'm sorry to say, we think it was you. You have to close the lid. This is what this was about? You have to close the lid. We are told you don't close cupboards, which is part and parcel of why you might not close lids. Close the lid on the cake so someone else can enjoy it unencumbered. I'm not alone here. Jeremy, who works here, has called in. He heard my reprobation. Jeremy, am I wrong? Am I wrong? You are not wrong. The man, Mr. Dahl, who makes one of the greatest cups of coffee in business history, I believe he did forget to Didn't close forget. the lid on the cheesecake. Didn't forget. It was a volitional act. He just helped himself and let it open and left it open. My Tragedy goodness. of the commons. My goodness. Uh, folks, he tells me two hours ago that I'm in trouble. I spent the last two hours thinking about every bad deed I've ever done in my life. And, and this, this might be the worst. This might be the worst. On a cheesecake box? People love cheesecake. Jeremy, I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. You, want, you, don't make enough, you don't make often appearances on this show, but without you, we couldn't do it. And you're part of the family here, too. So I'm glad you called in. I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. As you take certain delight in meeting out certain justice. Yes, I do. I appreciate the, the coming on the show. And I would like to give a shout-out to... All of my green bean casserole people, because that is the number one dish in Thanksgiving history. Thank you very much. Jeremy, happy Thanksgiving, just so long as you don't think it's a traditional serving of Thanksgiving. <laughs> anyway, young David, have you learned your lesson? Will you go forth and sin no more? I'm, I'm not convinced it was me. I know I was yeah, the Of course first it was you. To... Of course it was you. Oh, my goodness. That's the kind of justice we have around I'm not here. Get, I, I know I was the first person to open the box, but I was also the first person to get out the spatula and get out the knife and help other people in the office. We are not. We do not favor men who commit crimes, Teddy Roosevelt wrote. I have not a particular, a particle of sympathy with that sentimentality as I deem it, the mawkishness, which overflows with foolish pity for the criminal and cares not at all for the victim of the criminal. I have committed no crime. My hands are clean. I washed my hands of this sin. (laughs) The cake was not because of you. There were others in the office. Also, why is it called a cheesecake? It's a cheese pie. What? But a pie has a crust on the side. Cheesecake doesn't have it on the side. I think that's the big difference. Cheesecake has, okay. A pie is a custard filling. A graham cracker crust. On the very, very, very bottom. The very, very, very bottom. We couldn't just go with bottom. But not on the side. Do you want Mrs. Bennett's 12 basic table manner rules for Thanksgiving when you yes, go to someone's house? Yes, that we have left in this segment, yes. This is important. Write them down. Number one, napkin in the lap. Number two, drink from the glass or glasses to the right over the knife. Number three, your bread and butter plate and salad plate is to the left over the fork. The memory trick for this is BMW, bread, meal, water. Got it? Number four, no talking with your mouth full. Number five, try very hard not to spill your food on the table and up the front of your shirt, especially on your tie. Number six, 
Wait to eat until the lady of the house is seated and has raised her fork. Number seven. Also wait, especially at significant meals, for a prayer of blessing for the food. Number eight. Did I do? That was seven. Number eight. Do not blow your nose at the table. Number nine. The silence you hear is people all recognizing their violations of these rules in various instances. Number nine. This is particularly important for David. Do not place the wine bottle on the floor by your chair. Number 10, do not punctuate your sentences in any way with your silverware. Number 11, always, always personally thank the hostess and tell her the food was delicious. This is especially important if you have left enough food on the floor under your chair for the family dog's next meal. And finally, number 12, which actually I can attest to, is a uh, specialty of David's, and he needs no instruction on this one. No, you need no instruction on this one, but it's a lost art, and it's important, and it is the 12th rule. If you want your mother to go to her grave with a peaceful heart, offer to clear the table, take out the garbage, and always, always, always follow up with a... Thank you note. Handwritten thank you note, not email, within 72 hours. I have on file all handwritten notes from youngsters. The file is thin. <laughs> the file is thin. I'll tell you something. David, Young David is very good at that. And um, it is a wonderful art. Send a handwritten note. It's a wonderful, wonderful art. And a wonderful thing to do. All right, we'll get into some more serious stuff here. If you came in, we're driving around town earlier and heard of this terrorist attack on um, in New York at the Niagara Falls. And you thought, well, I'll learn more about it in the newspaper tomorrow. You won't. It wasn't a terrorist attack. Gosh, you know, the hair trigger, overwhelming rush to be wrong. It's as if we need more frenzy. We don't, but we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Happy to take your calls on anything as we are heading into the Thanksgiving holiday. We almost got our music exactly where we want it, don't you think, young David? Yeah. We, we I have, mean, we're running out of spots. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we've cleaned out a lot of the... A lot of the dead weight. A lot of the hooey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we've got the good stuff in there now. I've only got a few I'm holding against you. You, you do? <laughs> yeah. You're going yes. to launch from here to, that, that, from time uh, to time? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, a f- a then you will be subject to more public more ridicule. Public <laughs> What's nice is you will never leave a box open again, I think, for the rest of your life. Mark Twain distilled the Aristotelian difference between human and animals this way. Do you know this lesson, David? Um, do you know it, Mr. Bill? If a cat sits on a hot stovetop, it'll obviously run and jump away. If a human being puts his hand on a hot stovetop, he will obviously or she will obviously pull it back and retract it immediately, right? With with extreme speed. Yeah. The difference between the man and the cat is the man the or the here the the human will never put their hand on a hot stove top again. again. Yeah. A cat will never sit 
on a stovetop hot or cold ever again. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Mark Twain. Aristotelian difference of understanding these things. You know what? What? That, well, I was just thinking about how stoves were in the late 1800s, and that was probably written. You were thinking about that, were you? Okay. Oh, sure. Uh-huh. sure. That, uh, that has a double meaning because uh, stoves, predominantly before, like, the 20s and 30s, would have been wood-burning. Uh. Yes. Real fires. Uh-huh. And you have to take off the cover to expose the flame underneath. Uh. Yeah, so that would have done more than uh, more damage than they do today. Mm. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I know. You're bored. <laughs> Let's go to Linda. Hello, Linda. Hi. How are you? Oh, I was listening to your 12 points, yeah. and I wanted to add just a few little things. I used to teach etiquette and manners classes. Where would you and, have uh, manners classes? I love this. Where were manners classes? Where did we have manners Well, classes? I worked for a woman named Deborah King, who still has a company called Final Touch Finishing School. Oh, I love it. And we, um, she's in Texas, and I was her uh, teacher in Washington State. So would this be like and you would go there after after school or during school hours, like on a time release thing, or people would go for tutorials? How did it work? Well, first of all, we did a lot of parks and rec work with uh-huh. kids six to twelve. Oh yeah, and okay. we would. They'd come after school, or we taught them on the weekends, and we'd do everything from handshakes to uh, simple dining to uh-huh. how to introduce people. I love it. Uh, not to pick your nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the basic things. Um, handshake was a big deal. I bet. Eye contact. Yeah. Um, so just some little things like that. Wonderful. And then we also ran camps for high, junior high kids, and she still does a wonderful a class called Art of Confident Living that was for women. Uh-huh. And um, it's great. It's uh, We used to teach a lot about civility, Yep. Uh, which is respect for myself, others, and property when you break it all down. I love it. And um, and cheesecake. And cheesecake. Situation. And cheesecake. And cheesecake. Yes, yes. So I wanted to add just a couple of things, if I could, to your napkin. Yeah. Uh, number one, you, uh, you should... Fold your napkin so that you only use the top half of it and keep blot your mouth, and that way you don't get food. You don't crumple it up in your hand and get food all over your lap uh-huh. off the napkin. Okay, good. So just uh, put it in a triangle or in half and just use the top half. I love it. And when you leave the table for a brief period, just put it on your chair, remembering to put the part that was on your lap on the chair, so you don't sit in any food either when you come back. And scoot your chair in, right? And scoot your chair in. Good. And then when you leave the table, you would put it to the left of your plate. Don't ever put your napkin on the dinner plate. That's very hard for the uh, staff to get the food out of the linen. Oh, wonderful. So a lot of people will signify that they're done eating, they think the right thing to do is to put the napkin over the plate to signify it. Don't do that. Resist that urge. Don't, don't resist that urge, no. yes. Okay. And then the other thing that comes up a lot, and I'll leave you with this, is that a lot of times people will be served something they either are allergic to or can't eat. And the uh, proper thing to do is to not draw attention to yourself. Yeah. yeah. So you would just um, nibble on a piece of bread or... 
uh, let's say you're served shrimp cocktail and that's not something you can have. Yeah. You just don't go into all these distillations of how you can't eat that. And could someone please take that away? You just ignore it because you don't want to embarrass your hostess. I like that. I ha- I like that a lot. And I, this goes, by the way, especially true. Uh, who's the comedian from King of Queens? Uh, I'm blanking on his name. Kevin. Kevin. What is it? Kevin James, he does this thing about, you know, if you're lactose intolerant, I don't need to know, you know, you don't need to tell me. Uh, I'd like to just enjoy my double chocolate chip ice cream without knowing that. Same with gluten. If you have an allergy, I don't need to. But here is a question, Linda. This is vexing. And I don't know if you've got if you've received that this question before. Is there an obligation on the host uh, or on the server? When they see a food item not eaten, as you say, your shrimp, the thing you might be allergic to or you find you just can't eat for whatever reason, is there an obligation on the host or food server not to also make an issue of it by saying something like, did you not like the shrimp or did you not like the avocado? They they, they should feel – I think there should be an, an equal obligation of them not to point it out too. I, I agree with you. Um, I have been – also appalled by how many servers I've been at nice banquets uh, don't know even how to clear a table. Yeah. Uh, so you lower the plate from the left and you remove it from the right. Nice. And nobody does these things. They nice. just seem to plop it down in front of you. Well. I'll, by the way, if you make a B with your left fingers and a D with your right fingers, yeah. lowercase. Yeah. And put those on your lap. Now you know which side your bread and your drink is oh, on. Oh, very nice. Very nice, Linda. Very nice. And BMW was good, too, though. I liked what you, you said there. You liked BMW. It, fo- it worked. It worked. It does. Well, thank you. So that's all. No, thank I, you. It, it should I'm go sure without saying. Talk about. <laughs> it should go without saying. There's a, there's another one. I, the first thing I learned when I was a waiter in high school, first thing I learned, and it should go without saying, but as George Orwell said, we've reached a point where the restatement of the obvious is the uh, first task of the intelligent. When you serve a glass, <laughs> you like that? When you serve a glass of anything to drink, hand yes. goes on the lower half. Yes. Okay. And you should also pour over the floor, not over the table. Beautiful. Stay close, Linda. Thanks I have a feeling glass. society's going to yes. need more of you. Thank you, sister. Okay, have a great holiday. Cool. I loved that. Do you know what all those references are into that song? They're places and sandals. Harachi sandals. Yeah, it's like the type of sandals that the surfers all wore in the 60s. Harachis. You know what? Do you have a pair? No, but I kind of wish I did. Yeah, I bet you do. You got to go down. You can't get those in America, really. You got to go down to Mexico way and get them. Really? Mexico way? Yeah, go down Mexico way. Just like Never really uh, been. So I don't really know. <laughs> really bid. Yep, exactly. Just like <laughs> Welcome back. There is a lot of news to do, and we'll do it too. This is a day kind of pregnant with history and a time and a moment mm-hmm. pregnant with history, isn't it? Huh, young David? You're, Mar- you're our history buff. We're going to actually talk to a real historian in our third hour, talk about uh, the 1968 election and, 19, and the lessons for us today, the year 1968. And uh, we talk a lot about the frenzy and the uh, stress and the convulsions we live in. How do we compare that to where we are now versus 1968 with the riots and the assassinations and what have you? But um, we'll talk. To, we'll do that uh, in the third hour. But a few few notes on today. 
Um, first of all, this will be t- t- tomorrow will be or tonight will be the 50th anniversary of the 50th anniversary of the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Will it yes, not be? Yes. Yes. I mentioned this to you on Monday. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And the really big news this year is that they found all of those lost track that lost tracks that Vince Guaraldi recorded no when kidding. he made the soundtrack and they released them 50 years later. He yeah. died shortly thereafter, didn't he? Didn't he die in the 70s? I think he did. I don't know, but he didn't do many, yeah, he, yeah. Great jazz pianist, right? Beautiful, the Vince Guaraldi trio. Yeah. yeah. Great uh Thanksgiving tale. Do you want to There's some interesting stuff that goes on in there. Um I don't know if some people ha- go to two different Thanksgivings. Do you, Mr. Bill, go to two Thanksgivings? You do? Young David? Uh, you- you're correct. He died three years later. Yeah. So says Google. Do you go to two Thanksgivings? You kind of are doing two, aren't you? I'm doing a weird one. Yeah. We described this the other yeah. day. I'm doing some traveling. Yeah. A lot of people do two Thanksgivings. And I I wonder if it might the tradition might come from the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving um, because it's two Thanksgivings. It's the one that Peppermint Patty invites herself to and then she gets all angry that it's just what Snoopy makes toast and jelly beans or something like that and she gets upset that it's not a real Thanksgiving. Hey, that dog is a better host than yeah, uh, some I, humans. I know. And then Marcy scolds her for saying, "Well, maybe you owe Chuck an apology because you invited yourself. He never invited you." And then Chuck Charlie Brown invites them all over to his grandmother's for a second Thanksgiving, right? My grandmother lives in a condominium. Yeah, that's the funny thing. At the end of the day, it's a condominium, which was a big deal in the early 70s. Do you want to give us Linus's rendition of the story? Do we have time Let's for it? Let's do it. Okay. Before we're served, shouldn't we say grace? In the year 1621, the pilgrims held their first Thanksgiving feast. They invited the great Indian chief, Massasoit, who brought 90 of his brave Indians and a great abundance of food. Governor William Bradford and Captain Miles Standish were honored guests. Elder William Brewster, who was a minister, said a prayer that went something like this. We thank God for our homes and our food and our safety in a new land. We thank God for the opportunity to create a new world with freedom and justice. Amen. Nice prayer. Nice rendition. I like a prayer with a story. I was asked to—I hope it's okay. I don't know if it's appropriate. No one ever told me otherwise. But I was asked to do a prayer at a conference. Uh, when was that, David? You were there, way out in— mm, August 31st, I believe. <laughs> do you know specific? Okay. <laughs> I was reminded of do this Do you have an week. alibi? Yes. Why? Well, I have my producer right here. He can tell you. And uh, I was asked to give a prayer— and I told a story about the prayer before I did the prayer because I thought it was pertinent to the point of the conference. And I guess I've not heard that much before except here in the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. I also want to say something about the left in America and the thing that is its 60th anniversary today, which was the assassination of John Kennedy. We'll do that when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, Frank Sinatra originally did that song, High Hopes, just what makes a little old ant think he can knock a rubber tree plant. Everyone knows an ant can't knock the rubber tree plant, right? Uh, 
Plop, That's right. Plop, there goes another rubber tree. We all learned that as a kid. came from a Sinatra movie with Edgar G. Robinson. You ever see it? I might have. It, He's singing to It's some called children. A Hole in the Head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You seen it? He owns a little failing hotel in Miami. TCM has helped me see many movies yeah. that I don't distinctly remember the titles to because you just tune in and you're in the middle of something. It's a and, pretty good yeah. movie. A hole in the head. He well, I, I would say most everything he did is pretty decent. It's funny when you some of these songs are so popular you don't realize they they came out of a movie. Like Doris Day's song, Que Sera Sera. You know where that comes out of, Young David? Uh, yeah, The Man Who Knew Too Much. That's yep. a really good one, actually. <laughs> I'd an, say the, the movie far outshadows the song. Yeah, it's a good one. It's not the best Alfred Hitchcock, but it's no, a good Alfred No, of course Alfred not, Hitchcock. but it's Hitchcock, and it's Hitchcock remaking Hitchcock. Yeah, that's right. You know that, yes, right? Yes, yes, I do. Yes, I do. We like the Jimmy Stewart version. Of, of course, he, he does, too. Yeah. That's why he remade it. Yes, of course. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the Kennedy assassination and what it did to the left and see if you recognize anything here. Jim Pearson is a great historian. What was the foundation he ran forever and ever? I can't remember. Was it Olin? It doesn't matter. A large part of the answer, he writes in the Wall Street Journal, he wrote some years ago, uh, to why the JFK assassination still provokes so much controversy can be found in social and in the social and political climate of the early 1960s. Immediately after the assassination, leading journalists and political figures insisted that the president was a victim of a climate of hate in Dallas and across the nation, seeded by racial bigots. Sound familiar? The Ku Klux, the Ku Klux Klan, fundamentalist ministers, and anti-communist zealots, they were all the whipping boys. These people had been responsible for acts of violence across the South against blacks and civil, right work, civil rights workers in the months and years leading up to November 22, 1963, and it made sense to think that the same forces must have been behind the attack on Kennedy. It wasn't true. James Reston, then chief political correspondent for the New York Times, published a front-page column the day after the assassination under the title, quote, why America Weeps, Kennedy, a victim, a violent streak he sought to curb in nation, close quote. Chief Justice Earl Warren, who would soon head the investigation into the shooting, blamed bigots for the assassination. Syndicated newspaper columnist Drew Pearson wrote that JFK was the victim, quote, of a hate drive. Senator Mike Mansfield, in a eulogy, attributed the assassination to, quote, bigotry, hatred, and prejudice. Many said that JFK had been killed because of his support for a civil rights bill. Others, the Kennedy family included, wanted the slain president remembered with Abraham Lincoln as a martyr to the cause of racial justice. For his part, President Lyndon Johnson saw that his job as national leader was to supply meaning to the tragedy. John Kennedy had died, he said, but his cause was not really clear. I had to take the dead man's program and turn it into a martyr's cause, close quote. In his address to Congress as president, Johnson challenged the House and Senate to pass the stalled civil rights bills as memorials to his slain president uh, predecessor. On the international front, Johnson feared a dangerous escalation of tensions with the Soviet Union. As Reston wrote for the Times on November 25th, just three days after the assassin, assassination, quote, one of the things President Johnson is said to be concerned about 
is that the pro-communist background of Lee Oswald may lead in some places to another communist hunt that will divide the country and complicate the new president's relations with Moscow, close quote. Ironically, U.S. leaders adopted a line similar to the one pushed by the Soviet Union and communist groups around the world. They blamed the far right for the assassination. A Soviet spokesman said Senator Goldwater and other extremists on the right on the right could not escape moral responsibility for the president's death. These were the myths that grew up around the assassination, and strangely enough, they are widely believed. A new, ba- a new book, Dallas 1963, put out by a respected publishing house, traces the assassination to a climate of hatred created by right-wing businessmen, religious leaders, and media moguls. The facts are that President Kennedy was a martyr in the Cold War struggle against communism. The assassin was a communist— and not a bigot or a right-winger. Oswald defected from the United States to the Soviet Union in 1959, vowing when he did so that he could no longer live under a capitalist system. He returned to the U.S. with his Russian wife in 1962, disappointed with life under Soviet communism, but without giving up his Marxist beliefs or his hatred of the United States. By 1963, Oswald had transferred his political allegiance to... Castro's communist regime in Cuba. In April of 1963, Oswald attempted to shoot Edwin Walker, a retired U.S. Army general, as he sat at a desk in his dining room. Walker was the head of the John Birch Society in Dallas. The rifle Oswald used in attempt on Walker's life was the one he used to shoot Kennedy. Oswald was a left-wing communist. Dallas police would not identify Oswald as Walker's would-be assassin until after the assassination of Kennedy, but Oswald, fearful he would be identified for the Walker shooting, fled Dallas for New Orleans. In June of 1963, he established a local chapter called Fair Play for Cuba, a national organization dedicated to gaining diplomatic recognition for Castro's regime. Oswald was filmed by a local television station in New Orleans circulating leaflets on behalf of the Castro government and was jailed briefly following a street altercation with anti-Castro Cubans. Soon thereafter, he appeared on local TV to debate U.S. policy toward Cuba, defending Cuba. In September of 63, Oswald left New Orleans to go to Mexico City in pursuit of a visa that would permit him to travel to Cuba and then to the Soviet Union again. As documented in the Warren Commission report, he took along a dossier of news clippings on his pro-Castro activities to establish his revolutionary bona fides with personnel at the Cuban and Soviet embassies in the city. The assassin's motives for shooting Kennedy were undoubtedly linked to a wish to interfere with the president's campaign to overthrow Castro's government. After the Cuban Missile Crisis, Kennedy pledged to abandon efforts to overthrow Castro's regime by force, but the war of words between the two governments continued, and so did clandestine plots by the Kennedy administration to eliminate Castro by assassination. The assassination was an event in the Cold War, interpreted by liberal leadership as one of right-wing bigotry and hate, but not true and debunked by truth and history that it was really an effort on behalf of the left and communism. I bet you they don't teach you that in school. 
<laughs> think about me when some sm- <laughs> some when some girl comes <laughs> comes walking around the funny lyrics portions of this show brought to you by the good people at Y Refi. They have a secure investment actually helps people. You can earn up to a ten and a quarter percent fixed rate of return with Y Refi, not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Ton of flexibility where you are in control. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. No fees, absolutely no fees. No attack on principal if you ever need your money back at any time. You get your monthly statement with no surprises. This is, as I say, a secure collateralized portfolio. Maybe a better option for you than where you have your money now. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI24. That's 888-YREFI24. Make sure and tell them Seth sent you. David, here's a pop quiz. Uh, yeah? Name two other famous people that died 60 years ago today. Uh, C.S. Lewis died on the same day Kennedy died. Correct. I do know that. Yep, Because his done. death was overshadowed. Yeah. Al- uh, Aldous Huxley. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, the author Aldous Huxley. And Peter okay. Kreeft. Are you familiar with the works of Peter Kreeft? No, I'm not. Lewis scholar, theologian, Boston College professor. He wrote a book about this called Between Heaven and Hell, A Dialogue Somewhere Beyond Death, imagining the conversation between the three of them on that day. Because they each, according to him, represented. You know what? what? This is sounding familiar. I think is I've it? read something. Have like you read this. something yes, about it? Yes. They each represented different parts of influential philosophies Lewis, Western uh, theism, uh, Kennedy, modern Western humanism, and Huxley, ancient Eastern um, pantheism. And they represented the three most influential versions of Christianity, or what Lewis called mere Christianity with the mainline or modernist humanist Christianity with Kennedy and Oriental at least or mystical Christianity with um, with Huxley. And you can imagine uh, the kind of conversation those three would have on that day. Um, I wonder, it's possible there's a play. It's possible there's a play about this. I'm just familiar with the book, Peter Kreeft, K-R-E-E-F-T, Between Heaven and Hell, A Dialogue Somewhere Beyond Death. Fascinating. We'll go out with that. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.